0: Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, and that's why we are in God's Word this morning, because the Word of the Lord will stand forever. So we want to commit ourselves to being in that Word. Um, You can turn to Mark 1. Uh, We'll be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. And, you know, Bridget and I got engaged what seems like a million years ago, especially as I look at your young faces. We were, uh, um, during our engagement, we lived uh, two states apart. I lived in California, I was going to school and working, and Bridget for six months lived back in Washington while she was working and preparing for the wedding. And those six months, I can tell you, felt like an eternity because uh, we were ready to get married. We wanted to get married. There was a, uh, there, there was a good desire there. There was a, a longing and a waiting to, to commit to each other, to be each other's uh, faithful partner for the rest of our lives. Uh, but the, the waiting, um, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. The waiting can, can do something else. It can start to cause some doubts in you you know the longer we waited um you know i think it's just natural you just you start to have, have doubts about like is this really what god wants me to do uh is she really the one and i'm sure she had the same thing is he really the one uh and 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 sometimes the in in a waiting period when you're when you're uh like us waiting to get married or for something else to happen maybe it's you waiting for god to answer your prayer about something uh, doubts can set in, and that certainly happened for me. Um, but on the wedding day, when I saw Bridget walk down the middle aisle of that Lutheran church uh, in her white dress, and as beautiful as I've ever seen her, all the doubts began to flee, right? They just, they went all the way. I'm like, nope, that's the one, it's her, and I am so glad that I'm marrying her. You know, our story is just a faint glimmer of the reality of a bigger story that our marriage is meant to picture. Our story is just a glim uh, reality of actually God's people waiting for God. They're waiting, they're, they're longing, and in their waiting and their longing, we talked about it last week about this long history of, of promises made, but not all the way fulfilled. And as you wait and long for something to happen, doubts can set in. It happened with the people of God. And, and so the prophets would come and, 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 and they would remind God's people, God's faithfully keep His promises, Sometimes the doubting led to sin, wrong kinds of worship, and the prophets would come and say, thus says the Lord, you you guys have forgotten God's promises are yes and amen. God will fulfill His promises, so worship Him the way He He wants you to worship Him. That waiting and the longing comes in, and then Malachi closes the Old Testament, and then there's silence for hundreds of years. Just silence, kind of like right now. And the Gospels open up. Mark is actually probably one of the first Gospels written. That the Gospels open up, and they say, look, the waiting is over. Come thou long-expected one, the Old Testament prophets, Old Testament people would have sung. Uh, the Old Testament prophets are saying, um, The Gospels are saying, that waiting is over, and the one you are waiting for has come. His name is Jesus. Now, Mark, as one of the first uh, Gospels, is going to open up that one for us. But he's going to do it quickly. He skips Jesus' birth narrative, and he goes right into action. And he's going to connect Jesus and uh, uh, in his book to the Old Testament prophets. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at the first half of the prologue. The prologue goes from uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 13. And the aim of that prologue, I think, we're going to take the first half of it, but the aim of the whole prologue is this, okay? So for the next two weeks, we're going to think about this. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. I'm getting that from From uh, verse 15 in chapter 1, repent and believe the gospel because Jesus is greater than the prophets in verses 1 through 8. Jesus is greater than the prophets in verses 1 through 8. We hope to unpack that this morning. And then because Jesus is the beloved son. Repent and believe the gospel because Jesus is the beloved son in verses 9 through 11. And then uh, repent and believe the gospel because Jesus is the true Israel. Now, we're going to just take 1 through 8. But it, I just wanted you to see that, that this part is a part of a bigger thing called the prologue that John's introducing, this, this sort of pre-story to the story he's about to tell. So let's read verses 1 through 8 and hear what Holy Scripture says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord we're just going to take verse 1 by itself. Verse 1 is like the topic sentence it's kind of for the whole book, but especially for this prologue. Verse 1 is just telling us, okay, this is what it's going to be about, all right? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he, and he tells us right away it's it's the beginning. And can you can you think of any other books that start that way? In the beginning This word means to draw our minds back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. And then you remember soon after that, it all went drastically wrong. And sin entered the picture. And the serpent looked like he was winning. But Mark bursts on the scene. And he's going to remind us, know that there's a new beginning coming. There's a new beginning. And it starts with a person. It starts with God. And John, right away, uh, goes into a four full, full, full description of who that person is going to be this, in this topic sentence. He, and he, he begins by saying, This is the beginning of the gospel. This word is the good news, right? You've heard this before, but if you haven't heard it before, uh, this word is—it means good news. It's it's euangelion. It's it's the it's the good news about something, and and it was used in the ancient world too. Uh, of 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 kings like Alexander the Great, when he when he came in and he conquered a country, he would you know he would he would send a messenger back to say, hey, we won. And the news that they brought, that the battle was over, the good guys won, depending on which side you're on, I guess they were the good guys. But the good, you know, we, we won the war. The battle is over. That message was called the gospel. It was called good news. And here Mark is saying, this is the beginning of the good news, but not, not about Alexander the Great or Caesar Augustus. It's about somebody else. This is good news about Jesus, Jesus. Mark gives the, this one a name. Who this gospel is all about, he gives them a name, right? His name is Jesus. He, and, and Mark is telling us this is a historical figure. Jesus is not, um, Jesus is not made up by the apostles to, so they could become famous, right? Jesus is not just real in your heart. Jesus is not just someone you want him to be. No, he has he's actual he's an actual historical figure. And his name means God's salvation. It's Joshua. Yeshua. Yahweh saves. So this is the good news about Jesus Christ. We and we'll just we'll say it briefly because we said it already, but he he was the Messiah. In case you didn't know or you had doubts, Mark is telling us right away, this is, he is the one, he's the long-awaited-for one, he's the Messiah. And this word Messiah has all kinds of pictures of anointing in a ceremony, and the oil would be spread over the person who was anointed. And often they were anointed for a task. So there were lots of little messiahs in the Old Testament. Some of them were prophets who were anointed to speak God's word. And Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one to do God's task. This is the good news about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is not just a historical figure. He's not just a person. He's not just one of the many anointed ones. He is God, Mark claims it, John's about to claim it, and the whole Bible claims it, that He is divine, He's the Son of God, and only this one can save us from our sins. Israel waits for a Messiah. God's people wait for the Messiah. And Mark's saying, your waiting is over. He's here, and this is who He is. I wonder, I wonder what you're waiting for. Because you're you're waiting to be saved too, aren't you? Uh, w- w- I wonder what you want to find salvation from, though. Is it? Are you trying to find salvation from loneliness, and so you find it in a person, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Are, are do you think salvation? is in having more knowledge or being the smartest person in the room. So you just got to get one more degree. Or maybe it's in family, or maybe it's that career that's going to provide you security. The Bible is telling us that, you know, sometimes we, we look for salvation in the wrong things or actually from the wrong things. The Old Testament people, they, they needed salvation too, but, but they thought they needed it from an oppressive government or, or from poverty, et cetera. Et cetera. And, and Mark is telling us, Mark's gonna be telling us that no, uh, you don't need salvation from any of those things first. You need salvation from God's judgment on your sin. I need salvation from, from God coming and judging me for my sins. And there's good news. He's provided the way and that way is himself. See, not just any Messiah will do. It must be God himself who will save his people from their sins. It must be someone to take on the punishment themselves. And Mark announces that he is here in the flesh. His name is Jesus. So Mark tells us what he is going to tell us. Then Mark announces the prologue. Right, so he's telling, he's given us the topic sentence, and now he just announces for us. He tells us the story of Jesus is, you know, the suffering King is a is a story that someone else told. The old prophets, the Old Testament prophets, they they told it as well. This is Mark's next section, and he points out to us, and these these are going to be our two points. Okay, so that was a, a long sort of introduction, trains packed. Here we go. This will go quickly, I hope. Number one, the Old Testament prophets and their place in the story, number number one, the Old Testament prophets and their place in the story, that would be verses two and three, number one, the Old Testament prophets and their place in the story, Jesus is greater than the Old Testament prophets. You notice in two and three, he says, as it is written, he, he's connecting what he's about to say to something that's been written beforehand. And that was in the Old Testament prophets. And then he quotes, he quotes Exodus 23, 20, Malachi 3, 1, and Isaiah 43. And he just kind of piles them all together. And what he's saying is everything that those prophecies were saying about Christ are true in this, in this one instance, what, what all of these are saying about John the Baptist are true, and here's the fulfillment. Right? So he takes from the Torah, from the major and minor prophets, from, from the writings, and he's saying Scripture is fulfilled. And, and, and it's a big deal. This is a big deal. People would have looked at that and said, wow, something, is about, something big is about to happen. John has just quoted the Old Testament. And and right away we see we see him validating John the Baptist's ministry and message in the context of Old Testament prophecy and an anointed Old Testament prophet. Notice it again as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I, this is God, sends my messenger, John the Baptist, before your face, who will prepare your way, the Messiah. He's going to prepare the way for Messiah. How will he do that? He, he's going to do it by being the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And what will the message be? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The way in Mark is a king bringing a kingdom you can see that in, in verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And then verse 15, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. It's before your face. Here it is. And Mark is saying the way the king brings the kingdom, we're taking the whole story in context, is through suffering and death on a cross. And this is what John points to. Does John know all of it? Did the prophets know everything that it was about to be? No, they didn't. But we, looking back, do. And, and we can say what John maybe wasn't able to say. He could say, look, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And Jesus will come in and he will make that way. And he will, he will take it all the way to the cross and he will suffer and die. But the point is that just, just as the Old Testament prophets and the ideal prophet, Jesus, John is saying the only, th- the only thing he can say. And that's what God has said. He's, he's connected his message back to the Old Testament, and he's saying, listen, I am validating, Mark is validating John the Baptist by going back to the Old Testament prophets. And as a prophet, Prophets are only allowed to say what God tells them to say. If not, they get stoned and killed. So even Jesus, the ideal prophet in John 12, 49, says, I don't speak on my own. The Father who sent me has commanded me to say all that I have spoken. He's putting himself in line with the prophets, but as the ideal prophet. And Mark is pointed to to John as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. Here's the last Old Testament prophet that will will come before Jesus and announce his way, announce the Messiah's way. As one commentator says, this means that God's coming in salvation and judgment, which he promised in Scripture, takes place in Jesus, the one the book of Mark and all the Bible is about. Uh, in another place, a commentator says this. This indicates that John the Baptizer, who is the messenger, is not simply heralding the Messiah of a people's imagination, but he's heralding, a God, heralding God himself appearing in Jesus of Nazareth. So as God's people, we have to ask, we have, we have, a minor role in, in being prophets, of, of saying what God actually says about himself, was saying what God wants us to say. So what are we saying? You know, I, th- I think the cultural, the cultural pressure that you might feel, I certainly feel, right, is to say, you know, look, I can only tell you what I feel. I can only tell you what I feel is right. I can only tell you from my perspective how things are. But that's not what a prophet is supposed to say. A prophet is supposed to say, I can only tell you what the king has said. I can only tell you the truth. Now, we must do it in love, all right? Plenty of us do, do this without love. And it actually hinders the message that we have but we are supposed to say all the words. We're supposed to say exactly what God wants us to say about himself. So the branch, church, members here, what will you tolerate from this pulpit? Will you tolerate someone's opinions as fact? Will you, will you tolerate me expressing just my feelings up here we, or will you tolerate anything other than what the word of God says? I think that's what, this is what Mark is trying to tell us to do. And I think this is what Jesus wants from us. I can only tell you the truth and love because that's what the king has told me to. The Old Testament prophets, we can call them preachers. Um, and, and you'll just notice there's, there's several several times the prophets uh, are, are are said, or John is said to be speaking. And then um, in, in, in verse four, he says, uh, John appeared in the wilderness proclaiming. And then later on down, it says he, he preached the baptism of repentance. And then in, in verses, uh, in, in verse um, uh, 14, it says that Jesus was proclaiming the gospel of God See, these, these, were, they were, these were the ones that were bringing the good news, the K-Russo, the, the heralds. They were bringing the good news about the battle being won. So not only Old Testament prophets pointing to Messiah, these Old Testament prophets pointed to, to the prophet that would come in conjunction with Messiah. Okay, so this prophecy in 2 and 3 is actually pointing to John the Baptist saying, listen to him. And why are they going to listen to John the Baptist? Because he's going to point to Jesus as the greater one. He's the voice crying in the wilderness. And by John's own testimony, Jesus would say he's greater than himself. So not only the story of the Old Testament's prophets, but this is the, the New Testament prophet and his place in the story. Jesus is greater than John the Baptist. Verses four through eight. We saw John appears baptizing again. And Mark describes John as being in line with, with these prophets, right? A little, a little quirky, a little eccentric. You know, he's the guy holding up a sign at I don't know if they do this at the at Oregon State, but at the Mariners Games or Oregon State, you know, repent or burn. You know that's kind of how we view the Old Testament prophet, isn't it? Right, right. We think all of them were like Jonah, this prophet didn't want to go. When he goes, he says like ten words, and he's like, you know, repent or burn, and I hope you burn. That's what that's what he's and, and that's kind of what we is it? Is that am I the only one? Come on now. You guys think that too, don't you? The Old Testament prophets kind of seem like that. They're a little quirky. They're, you know, it, it tells us here he's wearing, he's wearing camel's hair and a leather belt. He's out in the wilderness and he's eating locusts. And we're like, oh, what's wrong with you? But actually, even even in those things, he's he's like the old testament prophets. But John was more like Gandalf the Great. He, he um, now I couldn't find this passage in the book, but I saw it in the movie, so I'm sure it's there. Uh, he, in, you know, in the scene on the top of Saruman's tower, he's, be, he's being tortured to give up the ring, and, and Gandalf, you know, at the end, he, he, before he jumps on the, the eagle, right, that's the scene at least, uh, he tells Saruman, he says, there is one Lord of the ring, and he will not share its power. And that's exactly what the Old Testament prophets are saying. There is one God of salvation and he will share his glory with no other. Turn to him and be saved. Mark says John was a valid prophet. Mark is validating him as the last Old Testament prophet, the the first New Testament prophet. And and, uh, his, uh, his validation is seen in the way he ministered. He, John the Baptist came ministering, and his manner and his method and his message all match the Old Testament prophets. So, so I just, you know, I, I was kind of talking about the, 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 the quirkiness of, of wearing, you know, the, the camel's hair and the, the leather belt being out in the wilderness and eating locusts and honey. Well, all of those things are what the Old Testament prophets did, and the eating the locusts—that he was—he was in line with the with the Old Testament uh, law. Uh, locusts were, were we were free to eat them. I know none of us, every one of us, is like, "Ooh, I don't want to eat that." But it, it's you know, if you were an Israelite, it was okay. You could you could those those were clean anim, um, insects, right? Insects, yeah. And so even in his manner. He's out in the wilderness, Isaiah 43, that, that's the prophecy. He will be a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. The wilderness is a place where, where God met with his people, right? After the exodus, after he saves them through the waters of, uh, of uh, the Red Sea from Egypt, he draws them out as, as kind of like a bride and says, come to me. I, I, I'm going to love you and I'm going to bless you. This is where God meets his people in blessing. He's also by the River Jordan, and, and the River Jordan was a connection to Elijah's ministry. This is where Elijah did a lot of his ministry, and he's, he's dressed like an Old Testament prophet. He ate like an Old Testament prophet, and if it looks like a duck and it swims like a duck, it's probably a, a duck, most likely. So here he is, John, the last of the Old Testament prophets, and, 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 and what's he going to do? Like, what's his, his method well, I mentioned it earlier, uh, but its method is just like Jesus's. It's just like the heralds of the good news. It's proclamation. It's pointing away from himself to somebody else. It's, it's saying only what God would say. It's a, announcing the good news. One of my Old Testament prophets in seminary said this, the only legitimate word in the Old Testament prophets call was thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. That's the only, how, how do you know if, he, if, he's, if he's a good preacher? How do you know? How do you know if that podcast that you're listening to is actually, if he's actually a good preacher in line with the Old Testament prophets? Thus says the Lord. Does he preach thus says the Lord? That's the question. You know, Mal, even Malachi's message to Israel was that in their waiting and in their longing, they questioned God. Their worship became dead, and Malachi came to them. The message from God was, worship me aright. I'm tired of your stinking sacrifices. Worship me the right way. This be- Why? Because Malachi liked the old way, we like the contemporary service, but I you know we, but we like the uh, we, we like the old service or vice versa no it wasn't that at all it was thus says the Lord and as someone gives you advice or counsel or or whatever we do here on Sunday uh, unless the Bible says we can do it, then it's not legitimate so that's John's manner and method he's like I said he 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 looks like an old testament prophet he he swims like an old testament prophet he sounds like an old testament prophet so maybe he is but what's his message how how would you know what what message to listen to well John the Baptist's message is this John's message was twofold it was a right repentance and a right faith in the real messiah right Don't, We'll dig into that and see. Uh, but here comes John. He's, he's preaching what the people, that the people should repent of their sins. Did you notice that? John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Oh, we don't need to complicate it, okay? John was just saying, look, come and, come and get baptized showing that you've repented of your sins. This is a thoroughly this is a thoroughly Christian practice already by by Romans 6, which was probably written before the Gospel of Mark, already in Romans 6, where we see this word, this practice of baptism being used in the church and, and to identify people as those who have union with Christ. So John is saying, come and turn from your sins pass through the waters of baptism, right? right. Okay, so they're coming from Jerusalem and Judea, and John's out here in the wilderness, and John, John's shouting out, repent and turn, and take part of my baptism, turning away from dead worship to, to their old ways to the waters of baptism, which probably pictured the Passover, the, the exodus, the, the exodus out of Egypt, you know that liberation story, the sort of Fourth of July story of, of the Jewish people where they were liberated from their, from their captors? He's saying, pass through the waters, turn from that, pass through the waters, be forgiven of your sins. Now, he's, he's not saying that baptism will save them. He's saying, repent and turn from your sins, as, and that this baptism is a symbol of God forgiving you, not judging you. Through the waters of baptism, so the Israelites they passed through the waters and uh, and were saved from their slavery to Egypt, and they came into a land flowing with milk and honey. And as I mentioned before, according to Romans six four and Galatians three twenty seven, Paul Paul is saying it's it's not the act of baptism that forgives, or that gives forgiveness, but baptism is a picture of union with Christ. It's a symbol of what has already happened to you when you repented and turned from your sins. This is John's message. Turn from your sins. Be baptized. The second part of John's message is a pointing away from himself to somebody else. The first part, repent of your sins. Now, that can feel like a burden, can't it? If you, friends, if you're doing evangelism on the campus or in this city or back home wherever you are, if you tell people to repent and turn from their sins, you've given them half of the gospel. Because who are they supposed to turn to? It, it's like saying, "Hey, you be better!" You get baptized and, and then live this way, and you do all the sacraments, and then you can be saved. Now, the second part is, is, the part, is it's a gospel proclamation. John is saying, uh, now, let me point out to you the one to whom we will save you when you repent and turn from your sins. The one to whom the people are supposed to turn is the one that comes after John. Did you notice that in, in the text? And he says, and he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, taking, taking off someone's sandals and washing their feet was the job of slaves. Gentile slaves. It was the lowest job. It was, it was it, um, rabbis couldn't even tell their students to do this because o- only the slaves could do this. It was dirty. It was, it was despicable. It, it was like saying, you're, you're lower than the ground that I walk on. And John is saying about himself, I, I, I'm not even worthy to be a slave who takes off Jesus' sandal. I, I'm not worthy to do that. John is saying, look, uh, I have an office. I'm going to say just what the Lord says, but the, the one that can save you is over there. He's mightier than me. And you remember in John, he say, he, he'll look at Jesus he'll say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, if that one is greater than John and the prophets, what does that mean about us? What does that mean about the salvation that he's proclaiming? If he is the new Exodus, he is the one that salvation has found him, found in, won't you turn to him and be saved? Friend, if, if you're visiting and you have never heard the gospel or received the gospel, the gospel, it, it's just this Jesus Christ the god the son of god came down to earth to live the life that you and i couldn't live just to live a perfect life in every way thought word deed he he lived it perfectly for 33 years and 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 then his friends gave him up betrayed him to the religious people and he died But but the death wasn't wasn't just an accident. It was on purpose. He came to die for the sins of those who would repent and believe. But he didn't stay dead. No, he got up from the grave. And he lives right now. And his message to you is turn from the the sins, the broken cisterns that, that you're putting all of your hope into, and turn to me and be saved. Jesus is saying he can save you. He will save you. And John is saying the same thing. He said, look, he's the one. Look at him. There's one coming that's mightier than me. And, and he's going to, I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, and the baptism here is, is merely, per, it's merely picturing a more permanent baptism. That, um. We don't need to get into the weeds on this, but it's this, it's this baptism that, that John is saying for the repentance of sin, and Jesus saying, I, I'm going to give you my spirit. When I save you, I'm going to make you mine, and I'm going to dwell with you, and I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people, and I will dwell with you, and the promise will be fulfilled. He will dwell with us. So the Old Testament prophets, they're, they're pointing to someone beyond them. The New Testament prophet John, he's pointing to someone beyond them, an ideal prophet who is Jesus Christ. He's greater than them. He's greater than the Old Testament prophets. He is their message. He's greater than the New Testament prophet John. He is his message, and their call is to repent and believe the gospel. So if you're not a Christian, I call you Repent and believe. If, if you'd like to talk about that, you have more questions, I'd love to talk to you, uh, Davey or any of the elders, or, or some of the Christians here would love to talk to you about that too. He is a better Savior. Christian, Luther, Martin Luther said, this is the whole of the Christian life. A continual repentance and belief. A continual turning to Jesus for salvation. We just, we just keep doing We don't get beyond the gospel. We don't get beyond Jesus. This is our life, church. Let's repent and believe that Jesus is better. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your message. You sent it. You embodied it. And you gave your life away for it. Now we're asking you, Lord Jesus, to please, by your Spirit, make us disciples who will do the same thing. In Jesus' name, amen. And now as a sign of our repentance and turning to Jesus for salvation, we turn now to the Lord's Supper, which is before us here, and it's, it's in the back as well, and there's, there's bread and there's juice here to take. And, and on this week, we, we take it as individuals in our, uh, uh, in our viewing our own personal discipleship with Jesus Christ, um, but I, I just want I just want to remind you how special it is, how important it is as a family to take this, and, and how we are communing with God Himself, Jesus Christ, when we do this. It doesn't save you, uh, but it's a remembrance, and so that means if it's a remembrance, if you have never done it, you can't remember what you've never done. So if you are not a Christian, it's no shame. Just you, can, you can just observe and watch what we're doing and and ask about it. Um, ordinarily, the way your repentance of faith is worked out is through baptism, and, and so normally the next step is baptism. So so we would just encourage you to to if you're a baptized believer to come and to take this and let's feast together. Uh, with one another, uh, supping on our great Christ. Let's stand together.